You know, by the way, too, after victories and after a week like this, you know, our greatest tests do not come after defeats. Our greatest tests in life come after victories. Whether it's a successful week like this, you need to be extremely careful. This is a lot of times when our biggest tests come. Is after a week like this. And that's what I want to talk to you about as well. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John, if you would. 1 John, I've entitled this message, Who Do You Think You Are? Who do you think you are? I'm going to talk about pride. Um, I'm actually hoping uh, this, Lord willing, I, I think this will be the last message I preach this semester. And, um, and I pray that you'll leave here going like, you know what? I absolutely hated Dr. Shetler's last message. I just hated that message. I'm, that's my goal today is that you leave here hating this message. Because we're going to talk about pride today. And um, I hope your pride, I hope yourself, I hope your old flesh absolutely says, man, I did not like that message at all that uh, Dr. Shetler gave. And um, I want to talk to you today about who do you think you are. Um, do know this, there is no question that we have, and for eight and a half years we have, we have really prayed for revival. I believe that the kindling is here for revival to start, uh, maybe more than at any time I can ever remember in my years here. I just believe the, it's here, that the, the dry wood, that if it just gets by an ember, is going to take off. And uh, I tell you, one of the big steps of that is you, you're going to have to deal with pride, and you're going to have to deal with yourself. And uh, so uh, let me encourage you to, uh, I think, matter of fact, down the road to revival, I think your first step is taking care of self, um, and that you're going to have to deal with your pride. So let's look at this. Who do you think you are? Let's uh, begin at uh, 1 John chapter 1. I uh, read verse number, <coughs> uh, verse number 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You absolutely can be his child and walk in darkness. There's no question in my life, very unfortunately, there have been times as a child of God I have walked in darkness. In those times and in those seasons, I was not in fellowship with my Lord. He was my Abba, but I was not in fellowship with him. I have three sons. I am very thankful that they weren't long periods of time, but I think there have been periods of time in all three of my sons' life. They were my sons during these times, but my sons walked in darkness. Uh, I do not think it was long at all, and I'm very thankful for that. But there was a period of time that my boys at different ages, at different situations, walked in darkness. And when they walked in darkness, they did not have fellowship with their dad. There was a broken fellowship. They were still my children, but we were not, we were not in fellowship. Um, this then is that a message. Um, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we do not the truth. Now look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I believe that's revival. And I believe that every time the light of God's word is shined on you and you walk in that light, Whatever is revealed to you, and you walk in that light, you're walking in revival. You are walking the normal Christian life. And you, by the way, one thing you better hope and you better pray is 
that that light never stops revealing. You never want to come to chapel where you do not have the light it reveals something. If you ever walk out of chapel and nothing was revealed to you in the way of light, don't look at the preacher and say, well, that guy didn't have it. You better look at your heart and say, I don't have it today. Because the light, walking in the light is the key to revival. So whatever he exposes in your life today, that's what you deal with. And if you deal with that, you're walking in revival and you're walking in fellowship with him. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that should be our prayer. That's what we want. We want to be revealed. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now look at these next three verses. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is, is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So every one of us can deal with pride today. We can confess it today. We can agree with God and we can ask God to forgive uh, our pride today and we can get back walking in light as well. And then look at verse 10. If we say, that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So it's there. We got to deal with it. We got to deal with it every day. Just before we pray, it looks like we're going to need to define a word. That word we're going to define is pride. We're not going to use, I love coming up with definitions, but I heard this. I do not know why I heard this. I believe personally this is the best definition of pride I've ever heard. It is so simple. Pride is the wrong view of you. Pride is the wrong view of you. I do not know where I heard that, but I am telling you that's what, whenever you have the wrong view of you, it is because pride is present in your life. And uh, we're going to use the word self, though, uh, is, is the wrong view of yourself, because self's going to come into the whole thing. We're going to take the word pride today, P-R-I-D-E, and we're going to do a little acrostic on, on describing it. See if it's in your life today. See if P-R-I-D-E is in your life today, and then deal with it. Okay? Pride is the wrong view of you. Can we all say that together? What is Pride. That's good. Let's have a word of prayer and let's deal with pride in our life today. Father, I don't know who we think we are right now, but I pray that at, by the end of chapel, we'll think we're something, maybe we'll get a better view of who we really are. Father, I ask, Lord, that you'll be with this chapel. I thank you so much for the student body. I thank you, Lord, for the administration, the faculty. There is no place like West Coast, Father, and I do thank you for it. But Father, this campus has pride. There are people, Father, every one of us struggle with this. Lord, reveal if it's under P, if it's under R, if it's under I or D or E. I pray that we will deal with it, Lord, in our life today. And my greatest prayer for this place is revival. And Father, um, I believe it's going to happen. I, Shetler may not be on the campus when it happens, but Father, I pray in Jesus' name, that you would overtake individuals with the enormity of their sin and the incredibleness of your forgiveness and that we would get honest about where we are and who we are. We get the right view of ourselves. Lord, I just love that little phrase. 
the prodigal son's sitting in a pig pen and he came to himself. He got the right view of himself and said, what am I doing here? Father, give us the right view of ourselves today. Lord, let us see ourselves like we never have. Lord, may it, not this surface stuff, break the follow ground, the stuff way underneath that's been hardened for years, maybe our entire life that's never been plowed up. Let's just start it today, Lord. I'm not even asking that it's all accomplished in this service. But after this conference, and then, Lord, the things that we go into second term, Break up the follow ground. Oh, Father, I pray you'll do a work in all of our lives uh, that would just be so much. That was the spirit of God. Lord, I don't know when it's going to happen, who is going to be in chapel. And Lord, it may not even be a message. It may be something in a dorm one night or, or whatever. And Lord, we've even heard things that you're doing. Keep doing it, Father. We're begging you because we are needy, as Jeremiah and Josh saying, Lord, I need you. Father, that is the antithesis of pride. That is the complete opposite. Lord, I need you. I am not self-sufficient. Show us who we are. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And God's children said, it was Saturday. 25 years I pastored. I believe. I don't know how many Saturdays that is, outside of a vacation here or there. I believe you could count on two hands how many times I ever did anything on a Saturday afternoon. Outside of making visits and spending time alone with God and just, and I didn't put my whole message together. No, 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 no. You cooked that message all week long. But Saturday was my time just to really spend. I'd go to the church, whether it was Santa Maria or Pensacola, and I just walked around the auditorium by myself and just prayed. My Saturdays were very, very precious to me. Very rarely did I ever do something. And if on those few occasions, it would have been a golf thing that, that someone really wanted me to go or we went to the beach or something like that or, or, or whatever it was. It was a hike that was only could be done then or whatever. But absolutely never on a Saturday night, except for this one Saturday night. So we had this uh, minor league hockey team in Pensacola. They were the ice pilots. And, and you really, they were, that was a really fun thing to go to. And, and I liked going to watch the ice pilots. And um, they made the playoffs that year. And the championship game is Saturday night at the Civic Center. Well, I'm not going to that. It, I preach the next day, and, it, and that's a big deal. And one of my members called me up, Steve, and he says, Pastor, I got tickets for the ice pilot final game championship of I don't even remember the name of the league or whatever and I go wow enjoy it man that is cool pastor I got two tickets one for me and one for you I said man I can't do that I just cannot do that Saturday night but you guys know where this is headed I went and I just I mean like you just don't you just don't do this on Saturday night you just, this is not what you do but I did and um, it goes into double overtime. Then a shootout, and we win. And it's, it was unbelievable, but it's like 11.30 at night. 
And I think that game started like at seven. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And there were some, you know, good Donnie Brooks. I mean, they just, they had fights and everything, you know. I mean, it, it was like the classic of all hockey games I've ever seen. We go out, no one obviously left. Where we parked, we're just surrounded. No sensationalism, no exaggeration. Hundreds and hundreds of cars all around us. There was probably 8,000 people in the Civic Center that night, and there are just cars everywhere, and we are not in a good spot. And I'm thinking, it's over an hour to get out of here. So we're in the car, and I'm going like, Lord, that was the coolest game in the world. But man, I am, my heart, I, this is just terrible right now. I'm not going to get home to around, who knows what, one o'clock in the morning, I got to get up. Oh man, what did I do? And we're sitting in that car and I'm trying to figure this out and we're not moving. I mean, we're just, it's not even like a little creep. We're not even moving yet. And we startly, finally start a little trail and I look over to the side and they got these blockades over an exit. And they got, they're just like, they're not that big. They're definitely something I can pick up. And, uh, and I said, Steve, if we go out that exit right there, we will save over 45 minutes, probably close to an hour, no exaggeration. He said, Pastor, that's, I know, I know. But man, I need to get home. I got to rest. I got to preach the word tomorrow. Let's just do it. Okay, pastor. He takes his, and remember he had an a, a, a explorer. And we come over to the thing, and I get out, and I'm moving the thing. And as I'm moving the thing, he's starting to pull out. I never saw him. There's a police officer. And he's about 50, 75 yards. And I'm moving the thing. And he blows his whistle, and that startled me. And I look down, and there is a police officer running at Pastor Shetler. <laughs> this could be a pretty bad situation here, you know. I, not only am I not preaching tomorrow, I'm going to be in jail tomorrow, you know. And he's running at me, and he is saying these words. Hey! Hey! Who do you think you are? Hey, hey, who do you think you are? And I'm thinking, uh, Pastor Jim Shetler? <laughs> that ain't going to do it, is it, Mike? <laughs> hey, who do you think you are? And you know what I realized at that moment? Not who I thought I was. I realized at that moment, Shetler, who do you think you are? Well, the past, I'm in God's word. Yeah. All these people are waiting. Who do you think you are? You know what? I had the wrong view of Jim Shetler. And Jim Shetler was full of himself. Now, I didn't get arrested. I told the guy, I said, man, I was trying to go. He says, you can't do it. He says, you got to wait in line. And you know what? I waited in line like everybody else. And I wasn't who I thought I was. And I want to tell you something, college student. Just because you're at West Coast Baptist College, and just because you want to declare the gospel, let me ask you something. Who do you think you are? You know, who do you think you are in your room? Well, uh, I'm the upperclassman. 
Yeah, who do you think you are as the upperclassman? That only makes you the bigger servant in that room. Who do you think you are? Well, do you know who my parents are? Like, you know, my parents, you know, like they speak here a lot. My dad speaks here a lot and stuff like that. Who do you think you are? You know, I'll tell you what. Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the basketball. Hey, girls volleyball. You know, we're on a one-game winning streak, you know. Who do you think you are? <laughs> hey, let me ask you something. Honestly, as you start second term, who do you think you are? I want to look at this word pride really quick, if I could, for just a moment. Let's look at this. First of all, P, I want to look at the four P's to self. Real simple. I wrote these down in the back of my Bible a long time ago, and, uh, and I'm going to tell you, they have helped me. The four P's to self. Here's what self wants to do. It wants to promote itself. It wants to please itself. It wants to pity itself, and it wants to protect itself. I'm going to tell you right now about self. The four P's to pride, to self, it always will want to promote itself. It's going to want recognition. It's going to be jealous if somebody else is getting what he thinks it should. Self wants to be promoted. It wants to get to that special speaker and get a little time with them. It wants to promote this. It wants to, it's all about promotion of self. But number two, it's all about pleasing self. It's all about ease. You can tell if you're full of pride when you take the easy road all the time, when you take the comfortable road, when you take the convenient road. That's nothing else but self. You please yourself. You promote yourself. Brother Shuttler, I am not liking your message. Amen. Promote, please. I'll tell you the third one, and this is just full of self, and that's pity. You just pity yourself, and it's all your feelings, it's all your emotions, it's all the drama. That is nothing but the works of self. That is nothing but your flesh. That is nothing but pride. Pity yourself. Oh, no, no, Brother Scheller, really? I don't have pride at all. I just think I'm terrible. You know, the problem is you just think about yourself all the time, and you're all about your emotions and your feelings and your pity. And then I'll tell you this. Pride protects itself. Always trying to protect itself. Brother Shetler, those were good points. I'm being very honest, Brother Shetler. How do you know if those are dominant in your life, if you do have a problem with promoting self, pleasing self, pitying self, and protecting self? You know how? Get poked. Pardon? Get poked. Brother Shetler, I'm not positive I understand what you're saying. Well, I'll, I'll tell you exactly. Jeremiah, is Jeremiah Hooten in here? Jeremiah, stand up real quick if you are. Jeremiah's the man. I'm telling you right now. I don't know, what was it, two weeks ago? Jeremiah killed a rattlesnake on this campus. And I was standing right next to him. Jeremiah, you have a, give Jeremiah a hand. He's protecting us. He's on security. They're not giving you a big round of applause. You should have been there that night. We had a rattle. And you know where it was? It was right up by the offices. And it was right on the kind. What was you know? Have you ever you ever heard the illustration? If you ever see a turtle on top on side on top of a fence, you know one thing: somebody placed it there. Well, I'm thinking to myself, if you ever see a rattlesnake on the top of a walkway of concrete up against a wall, just sitting under a, a light at night, you think, I don't think anyone placed it there. But I'm going to tell you, <laughs> like, what was that rattlesnake doing there? So I'm coming after Monday night class, 
And, we're, and I, there's little crowds around where, the, where you go into the, the offices there. And I'm going, hey, what are you guys looking at? And it's a rattlesnake. And it's coiled up. And it's just that length. It's about this long. That's like that. And it was fat. I mean, it was just like, okay, that's a dangerous one. All right, so we're all just standing. We don't know, you know, I'm, I'm going like, what do we got? We got to do something here. Someone was playing putt-putt golf. And I said, give me the putter. Give me the putter. And I got the putter and I go, yeah, I'm not. No. <laughs> now, give me a driver, okay? Give me something. But this, this putter. Anyway. So we called security. Praise God for that security on our campus. And we got Jeremiah Hooten. All right. Jeremiah gets a stick. And this is the flimsiest looking stick in the world. And I said, Jeremiah, I love you too much for you to use that stick. He said, no. He said, Dr. Scheller, I got this. And I said, I'm not sure you got this, buddy. So I came up with my putter. I got my putter in my hand, you know. And everyone's standing around looking. Brother Blem was there. He never said a word for 10 minutes. <laughs> Brother Blem is just sitting there watching this whole thing. I don't know what he's thinking, you know. I don't, I, let's see now. How do I get to the hospital when Brother Hooten and Brother Shetler get bit? I don't know what he's saying. But there, all of us are saying, and I got my putter in my hand, and Jeremiah comes up to that rattlesnake. I said, Oh, Jeremiah, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I'll get the head. Oh, he's, oh, oh, and then we're really safe. He's got a pocket knife. I'm thinking, Whoa. He said, I'll get it. I'm going to poke it. And when I poke it, I'm going to cut the head off. I'm thinking, That's a lot of wishful thinking and all that stuff, man. So that thing's just sitting there. We're good. It's all curled up, it's just sitting there. Just a rattlesnake. Just sitting there, just like you in your room. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And you're fine. Brother Scheller, how do we know that these things are in my life? You get everyone together, you get what? Yeah, because when you get poked, if you're full of self, it's going to be shown. Because that snake's not doing anything. Matter of fact, the rattle was not rattling. The rattle was not rattling. And Jeremiah gets about this, this close. I'm on the, like the little walkway up there with the little guard fence, and I got my putter. I said, Jeremiah, you make this count. He takes that. Hey, folks. And when he poked, he didn't get the head. He got the body, but he didn't get that head. And and that thing's coming around at Jeremiah. And, I'm going, and that thing's coming around, and it's trying to get Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah's whole, I said, Jeremiah, don't you let go of that. Jeremiah, you keep pushing, you keep pushing. And he did. He pushed enough where he got in, and he had this other little stick thing. And then I had the little putter, and I came a little bit closer, and we got the thing, and we kind of held it down. And then he gets off the pocket knife, and he cuts off the head, and we're safe on the campus. By the way, be careful for the rattlesnakes around here, too, honestly. Okay, that's the last time walking around there. No, you don't have to worry about it because they come right up to the building. So don't worry. <laughs> but the one thing I noticed with that was that's, that rattlesnake didn't do anything until it was poked. And when it poked, oh, by the way, the little rattle went up, started shaking. That, that head came around to try to get Jeremiah. And you know what? That's what some of you do in your rooms with your roommate as soon as you get poked. Brother Scheller, how do I know I'm out there promoting myself? How, how do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm pitying myself? How do I know if I'm pleasing myself all the time? How do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm real defensive and protecting myself? Get poked and what's coming out? Are you raising your little ugly head and are you going after the one who poked you? You know what? You're full of pride. You're full of pride. Let's go to R. Oh, this is a good one. Righteousness. 
Brother Shelton, we're talking about pride, not righteousness. Oh, no. Righteousness is a key ingredient to pride. Now, it's called self-righteousness, but it is a key ingredient. Everyone, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. I think you're familiar with this parable. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Wow, what a phrase. See, when you're doing all these righteous things, you will have a, t- and that word trusted means, it, it's not the normal word pistos, believe in or whatever. This is, the, this is the idea to persuade or convince yourself of it. You, you persuade and you convince yourself that you're okay. And how do you convince yourself that you're okay? How do you persuade yourself that you're fine? Your righteousness, the things that you do. Look at this. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Now, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. One thing about self-righteous people, they always have a list of their top 10 sins. They always have a list because those are things that they don't think that they're doing. So this is how they convince themselves, I have a list of sins, and these are the, these are the really bad ones. And I, and I will tell you, you're full of pride. You got your little list, and you're saying, you know what? I am sure glad I'm not like some of these. I'm sure glad I'm not like some of these. You know, I don't, boy, could I go off and rabbit tails? Don't stay focused, Jim. Compares to others. That is huge with self-righteous people. They compare themselves to other. But I'm going to tell you what they can't do. They cannot take reproof. You know that you're full of self-righteousness when you're reproved and you cannot handle it. When you are corrected and there's an, there's an area that you're corrected by a roommate, by a room leader, by a dorm soup, by a dean, by a faculty member, by an administrator, and you, you get it and you get reproved and you just it just festers. And it, it just, I'm telling you, you're self-righteous and you got pride in your life. And how do you know this, Brother Shuttler? Because I experience this too. Brother Shuttler, you never get reproved. Oh, I have been reproved many times in the last eight and a half years here and all of my life. I've been reproved by deacons. I've been reproved by other authority figures. I have, who do you think you are? I have been reproved. And I got to tell you, when I raised it, oh, yeah, yeah, but you don't know all the facts. You don't know. You know what? You can't handle correction. There's a good indication that you got pride going on inside. Self-righteousness. Wow, this is quite the story. And, and then you got the publican. He doesn't even, and the publican standing afar off, he wouldn't even lift up as much as his head. Now, we're not talking. One guy's got a problem with riches. The other guy's got a problem with righteousness. But one thing about the guy with riches, he knows he's got <coughs> greed and lust and whatever. And man, he just comes, God, give me mercy. And look at verse 14. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Hey, you know what? You know you got pride when you got righteousness that you're doing and you're comparing yourself to other people on this campus. You're comparing yourself to your roommate and you got righteous and you got self-righteousness and you cannot take reproof. I, this is a big one, independence. Isn't it interesting? The, the middle letter to pride is I, and that is interesting. Independence. This is an absolute mark of a person that's struggling with pride. They don't need God. They don't need the Lord. I think one of the best Old Testament illustrations of this, 2 Chronicles 26, we won't take time to go there, but maybe some of you are familiar with it. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 6, 16-year-old young man becomes the king. His name's Uzziah. Just a great story about Uzziah. This guy, <coughs> by the way, what a parallel between his kingdom and the United States. Under Uzziah, they are blessed agriculturally, they are blessed economically, they are blessed militarily, and specifically with military, they're coming up, they're inventing, they're inventing cunning weapons. They got like the technology. I mean, they, they're under Uzziah, 16 year old guy. The Bible says in verse number six, at the very beginning, as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. But in verse 16 of that chapter, Uzziah kind of like, I got this. I got this. I'm going into the temple to sacrifice. Yeah, 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 Uzziah. There's a separation between church and state. Yeah, the state needs to stay out of the church. Uzziah, you stay being the king. Don't be going into the temple. But Uzziah thinks that he can kind of do that too. And the Bible says a very interesting phrase in, in 2 Chronicles 26. When his heart was strong, when he thought he was independent, I don't need God. When he was a 16-year-old guy, he's really, God, I need your help. Yeah, but when he gets older, I don't need it anymore. By the way, upperclassmen, you need God as much as freshmen. Hey, juniors, sophomores, don't you ever get an independent spirit. I got that done already. I got this, man. I got this. I this term thing, I got this. Hey, you know what? Independence, where you don't need the Lord anymore, is a real sign that pride is coming into your life. Let me go to D, because we got to get going. P, the four Ps, self-righteousness, righteousness, independence. D is deception. This is so... There's a whole book on pride. I don't know if you know that or not. It's the book of Obadiah. It's the shortest book of the Old Testament. And it's all about the destruction of the Edomites. And in Obadiah, verse number four, the Bible says, you have deceived yourself of where you are. See, they lived in a place called Petra. 
They lived right in the mountains, and there's and they lived in these back in these caves and, and in these canyons. And there was these long little narrows. By the way, they've been in all kinds of movies. Hollywood has, has gone to Petra and filmed a lot of movies there. They're like the coolest little areas, and they lived right inside the mountains, right inside the clefts of the mountains. And then the only way in was real narrow canyons. Is the only way that you could get into the places, and it was very easily defendable. Very easily defendable. Have you ever heard this verse before? Only by pride cometh contention. You know, you can always tell a proud person because they're always contending with others. They're always defending their position. They're very much always on the defensive because they are deceived. They think that they're safe in their little place. And if they defend themselves well, and they, 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 you know, they, they put a lot of protections, they never become tra too transparent. They never get real honest. They're real safe in Petra. They're just in their little caves, and there's like nobody can get, nobody knows about my little life that I'm doing in the afternoons in my room. Nobody knows about th this or this. I got a whole other life going on, and there ain't nobody, and I feel really safe. And I'm going to tell you something. You are deceived, and your pride of your heart has deceived you, Obadiah verse 4. The pride of your sin is so deceptive. And pride makes you feel like, I'm good, I'm good. You know what? You're not good. And things are not well with you. And you got an old little thing going on, and you go like, you know, it's okay, though. No, nobody knows it. Uh, we talked yesterday in Introduction to Biblical Counseling about this compartmentalizing. You know, like, well, I got, I got this little area in my life that, I, you know, I, I need to work on this little area. This is a, but you know what? The rest of my life is all, I mean, it's good to go. I just got this little part. And I told the, I told the class yesterday, I told the counselors yesterday, I said, let me tell you something. If, you, if somebody you're counseling believes that what they want to deal with is just this little compartment of their life, they'll never have victory. They'll never, you will never have victory if you got like, well, I got this one little thing in my life. No, you got to believe that one little thing is affecting every area of your life. Until you get sick and tired of it and you say, you know what, that's it. I'm done with this. See, that's, see, that's what, that, it, it, doesn't pornography just fit this? I mean, you guys are out soul winning, you're out doing this, you're out, but you got this one little area. It, that's your, I just got one problem in my life. It, it's pornography. But I'm telling you the rest. I got good relationships. I got good friendships. I got good positions on the campus. I'm doing good in my grades right now. I got a cheerful spirit. I love chapel. I really do. I even have my devotions. I just got this one little area. That's the area that's got to be dealt with or you'll never experience revival. You gotta get that one little area. It's that one little compartment. And until you believe that, you are deceived, friend. You're thinking your life is okay. And, and well, you know, we all got our little things, and this is my little thing. It isn't a little thing. It's affecting relationships, it's affecting your entire life. You gotta get that cleaned out. Deceptive. And then, finally, and we're done, enemy. E is the enemy, and there is an enemy to pride. And you got to know the enemy to pride because the enemy to pride is the key. The enemy of pride is humility. It is a mortal enemy. The thing that pride hates more than anything else is being humble. Humility is the one humiliation, humbling yourself to bow down. I'll talk about what it is in a minute. 
To, to humble yourself is the very thing more than anything else that pride cannot stand. I came from a broken home. And I, uh, when I got into a deep relationship and I knew I was going to get married, I went, Lord, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to be a husband. And I would used to ask couples all the time, man, you got a good marriage. You got good kids. How'd you do that? And they would tell me something. <clears throat> They'd usually give me a little tip or something. But I'm going to tell you this, of the dozens and scores of people that I asked, I was always amazed by the answer. These were the good marriages. These were the good homes. They would always say something like this. Hey, Brother Shallow, we, we had a date night. We did a family thing. You know what? We resolved things in our home. Hey, hey, Brother Shuttler, honestly, do you know why we had a good marriage? You know why? If, if, if our kids have turned out well, you know why? It's been the grace of God. It's just been God's grace. And I heard that over and over and over again. I came to believe it. You know what? You know what makes a good marriage? God's grace. You know what makes a good home? God's grace. I say, how do you do that? James chapter 4. God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How do you get God's grace second term? How do you get that grace on your life? You gotta humble yourself. You gotta, you gotta see your sin. You gotta recognize, you know what? I'm full of myself, man. I am full of myself. Who do you think you are? You know, Brother Shetler, I think I'm somebody in need. I think that I'm promoting myself, and I pity myself, and I'm sucking my thumb, and it's all about self. You know what? I compare myself to others. I do not take reproof well, Brother Shetler. And I think I've deceived myself. Okay. Well, this is the coolest thing. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. College student, I will tell you, if you want the greatest seven weeks of your entire life, allow humility to win over pride. And take pride and put it at the altar and say, I am done. God, now you got to do this every day. Okay, you just cannot come to one chapel. This is my chapel. I get rid of pride. No, 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 that's not happening. Nobody's going to do one thing today that's going to take care of pride for the next seven weeks. But if we're aware and we keep, the, I'm telling you, the enemy of pride is humility. And we stay humble and we stay on the altar and we just go, God, got to die again. Lord, here it comes again. I'm promoting myself, aren't I? I'm, I'm, I'm pleasing myself. I'm taking the easy route. No, I'm going to do this. And you put your flesh down. Who do you think you are? Boy, I got to tell you, I came back into that car and I looked at Steve and I said, Steve, forgive me. Your pastor just broke the law and I want to ask you to forgive me. He said, oh, pastor, don't worry. Pastor, we shouldn't have come to the hockey game. You know what? That ain't the problem. The problem is who I think I was. And I got to tell you something, Steve. I'm not who I thought I was. And Steve, would you forgive me? Oh, yeah, pastor, yeah, I forgive you, of course. No, I mean that, Steve. I was a terrible example to you. And we prayed right in that car, God, forgive me. 
And I, boy, I talked to that police officer, sir, I want to tell you I'm a pastor. And what I just did was wrong. That was the first, I said it to him before I went to Steve. I said, sir, I am so sorry. And we, and we will absolutely wait. And you know what? Some of you need to humble yourselves too. Because you've been full of pride in your room. And maybe you need to get a hold of your roommate in, in, in this time and just go grab a hold and say, come on, let's go down, man. I need to ask you to forgive me. Let, let's, man, let's, let's do this next seven weeks right. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you want to humble yourself and you say, God, I see the P-R-I-D-E. God, you spoke to my heart. Why don't you come on down and just put it down and just say, God, I need to humble myself today.